Welcome to the SG Engage podcast, where it's all social good all the time. Sit back and relax as the brightest minds from across the social good community engage with trends, big ideas, and best practices to help you drive impact. I'm Liza Turcott, and I'm part of the Blackboard team that works exclusively with leading healthcare fundraising organizations. I'm excited to be guest hosting this episode in which we'll focus on HIPAA compliance and healthcare fundraising and to be joined today by Marty Arvin, a healthcare compliance expert with decades of experience. Protecting patient information is a complex topic that really requires a team effort. The compliance and privacy officer, information security officer, development team, and senior leadership all need to come together to make sure patients and could-be donors are, are happy. Uh, so drawing on our experiences in healthcare, we'll talk more about the concerns and challenges with patient and family fundraising, as well as ways we can more effectively work together. I joined BlackBot a little more than five years ago and focused on healthcare organizations and their use of data and analytics to raise money. I started my fundraising career, however, as a development officer in a foundation supporting a multi-hospital regional um, healthcare system. So I've been familiar with the challenges around patient fundraising uh, for many years. Uh, so Marty, your background, it's really incredible. So tell us a little bit more about yourself. Thanks, Liza. Well, I've been working in healthcare, it seems like forever, but it's been about, that, well, three plus decades now. Most of that's been in compliance. I did serve in a clinical role for a bit and also in a financial role for a bit. But as I said, the vast majority of the time has been in healthcare compliance. I've served in the role of chief compliance officer and or chief privacy officer for multiple academic medical centers and for one smaller for-profit health system. Uh, my background in healthcare compliance really includes a, a breadth of compliance topics on general compliance, privacy, information security, and research. I'm currently the executive advisor at Synergistic, which is a healthcare consultancy that does compliance, privacy, and information security consulting work. Prior to joining Synergistic, I was the Chief Compliance and Privacy Officer for Regional Care Hospital Partners. And then before the, immediately before that, I was the UCLA Health System Chief Compliance and Privacy Officer. I do have a legal background, and I've served as an expert witness in multiple cases in privacy and information security. But I do need to be very clear. The opinions I express in this podcast are my own and not those of BlackBot or my employer, Synergistic. And also, nothing I say is to be considered legal advice. It's intended as general informational educational material only. Well, thank you, Marty. It's nice to chat with you today, and we appreciate you being here. As we prepared for this conversation, one of the themes to which we returned again and again um, is the idea that the compliance officer, the information security officer, and development team all share the same goal of doing what's best for the organization, but their priorities are different. Um, in fact, we joked that Marty, you know, representing the chief compliance officer, chief privacy officer role, you know, often thinks in terms of the least information possible. And I, sort of representing the development perspective, often want to get as much as I'm allowed to have and can reasonably manage. So, Marty, would you tell us a little bit about your thinking when you evaluated fundraisers' requests for patient data? 
Certainly. Well, first, uh, like my development colleagues, I wanted to do what was right for the patient and for the organization. You know, healthcare organizations are all about providing high quality care and also particularly the academic medical centers I work with and, and other organizations in performing groundbreaking research. Uh, and those are key missions for those organizations. Fundraising is one way to help ensure that that happens. So getting those extra dollars in is going to be extremely beneficial. I was also concerned, though, with it, making sure we adhered to both state and federal laws, as well as our organizational policies and procedures. And minimum necessary, of course, was a requirement and a guiding principle associated with that. Compliance professionals, I will say, tend to lean into the position that less is better, which may be true in some situations, but they should view their development colleagues as their partners. For me, as a compliance officer or privacy officer, or sometimes both roles, it felt as though development wanted to push the envelope, but I found that if we sat down and really had a thoughtful dialogue, we could always find a solution that met their needs and provided an appropriate balance while not jeopardizing the trust of our patients. We talked about three people being involved, IT or information technology, compliance and development, but one of the best lessons I've learned in my career is that none of those roles are responsible for deciding the risk appetite of the organization. The risk appetite of the organization is something that's left up to senior leadership. So as a compliance officer, I partnered with these teams so that we could bring the, the big picture to our leadership in hopefully a unified manner. And as long as I felt like my leadership had made an informed decision, I could sleep at night. Again, I, I will say the organization didn't always go with what I preferred them to do. And actually, I was occasionally surprised that they wanted to take, in fact, a more conservative approach than might, I might be recommending. But again, that decision is left to senior leadership. And even though I might not have liked it, as long as I knew they made an informed decision, then I was okay with that. Yeah, that's a great point, Marty, about the risk appetite of the organization and um, involvement of senior leadership. It's really important that all of these personas and perspectives align in the way that you're describing because grateful patient and family programs are an integral part of the healthcare organization's fundraising strategy. These programs provide the opportunity for people who have had a great care experience, you know, be it their own or that of a loved one, to express gratitude by supporting the organization and often recognizing their caregivers as well. You know, it's a, a really unique relationship, right, between these types of uh, prospects and donors and the organizations to which they're donors. Uh, the risk appetite of the organization and, and senior leadership being a driving um, factor behind that. Um, but it's really important, uh, you know, all these personas and perspectives align in the way that you're describing because grateful patient and family programs are an integral part of a healthcare organization's fundraising strategy. You know, these programs provide the opportunity for people who have had a great care experience, you know, be it their own or that of a loved one, uh, to express gratitude by supporting the organization and often recognizing their caregivers as well. You know, it's a really unique relationship. Uh, so when we talk about identifying our best potential prospects from what's often an overwhelming number of people, you know, patient volume can be huge. Leveraging data, right, both internal data and external data, something like a wealth screening, makes that more manageable because data can point to both capacity 
to make gifts and sometimes even affinity or likelihood prospects will engage with your organization as a donor. And while fundraisers often like a lot of information to help make these decisions, they may not need a ton uh, to build a solid Grateful Patient and Family program. Um, in fact, the only information required for a commonly used analytics tool, a wealth screening, is just basic name and address. But under the law, development officers can get additional information, and it can be very important for outreach, right? There's a balance here, right? Is the risk of having the information worth the reward? Which brings us back to the idea that we all have the same goal, financial success of the organization and happy patients and families. Marty, you've said repeatedly there's a balance here, and this seems like a great time to talk about that in more detail from your perspective. Yes. And, you know, the, one of the first questions I would ask the development team when they requested information was, what are you trying to accomplish? Uh, was it a specific campaign? Was it identifying grateful patients and families? Was it a general fundraising effort or, or something of that nature? Uh, from there, then we would review the regulatory landscape to determine if what they wanted to do was actually permitted. And often we found that much of it was, but sometimes things might have been prohibited, or at least it might have been in potentially a gray area. If there was a decision on risk tolerance, again, that's where I mentioned we would take that to senior leadership, particularly if we had different thoughts and approaches on it. Uh, my expectation for the development team was really to be flexible and to be willing to listen. And I tried to, you know, return that courtesy to them as well. Some of the solutions might require a slightly different approach than what they initially brought to me or the, whatever their initial idea was. But I found that by brainstorming the options, we could generally identify multiple paths to reach their goal and then work on landing on the one that offered the maximum compliance with the minimum burden. One of the things I found extremely helpful was bringing everybody together in the same meeting. It was sometimes difficult if I talked to the development team and then they went to IT and, you know, they might be communicating what they thought I was saying, but it might have been lost in translation. So getting everybody together and sitting down and understanding what our approach was going to be or what the different options were was always very helpful. And it was also helpful because I might sit down with a development team and think, wow, this is great. We can do this. But then if we sat down with IT, maybe technically it wasn't feasible to do it. So again, having everybody in the same room was very helpful in order to come to a solution that we could all be happy with. Now, again, I couldn't always permit the approach that the team might have brought to me initially, and I frequently would state to them, I'm probably going to be a little bit of a speed bump, but I was never a roadblock to them, or very, very seldom was I an actual roadblock to them. So in thinking that through, that's kind of how compliance has always been for me. I think the vast majority of things they wanted to do were things that could happen, but again, maybe not quite exactly in the way they would have preferred, but we could always work it out. And I think that's the key factor is sitting down and approaching your team and, and your colleagues in a way that you're open-minded and willing to discuss the different options so that they can get to what they need and you can be satisfied as a compliance officer. I, I, from my perspective, I wanted the development team to smile when they saw me and not think, oh, no. Marty, uh, 
Can you think of an example that you could share with everyone when you think about the need to strike a balance with information and what gets shared internally and externally? Um, and when you've worked collaboratively with the fundraising team uh, to achieve what they wanted to achieve and what you needed to do as the compliance officer? Certainly. And one of my past experiences, the development team came to me with the opportunity to do well screening of our patients. And what they wanted to do is get the data of all patients that happened to be admitted to the facility for you know every, every day and do well screening on those particular patients. So we sat down and talked about what data elements they would need and landed on you know an appropriate extract for them to be able to do that. But the next step of what they wanted to do was then share the identified individuals who they thought were very good prospects with our CEO so that he could then make a concerted effort to go visit those particular patients. I was not really comfortable with having it be that direct and having him be uh, aware that that was the purpose for which he was visiting them. But fortunately, our CEO had the habit of blocking off usually an hour to two hours a day if he was in town to just go randomly around the hospital and wander into patients' rooms. And he would go into the room and introduce himself and say, hi, I'm such and such. I'm, a C I'm the CEO of the facility. How's your stay? How are you being treated? You know, is there anything we can do for you? And he would uh, routinely also give them his card and put his cell phone number on the back of it and say, call me if you have any questions. So this wasn't something that was being added as a result of doing the wealth screening. It was already a process that was in place. I just didn't want it to be shared with him that these are particular people to go in and push for our fundraising efforts because the information was being shared with him in a way that would allow him to go in and see the patients and, and not be as directed. So what we landed on was he got a list of patients that we were suggesting he go see. And it included both those that had been well screened as potential prospects, as well as other patients that people were asking him to go see for a variety of different reasons. So he wasn't seeing it as a targeted list for fundraising, but rather just go see these people as part of your normal process. And that allowed us, I think, to share the information and not have it feel so much like, you know, if you come to us as a patient, we're going to hit you up for money. And, and I hate to be so frank and direct, but that's really, you know, how we wanted to make it feel like, you know, he's doing something he would normally do, not really outside of, of his routine practice, and still have him have that visit with those individuals. And then, you know, assuming that their outcome was, was not such that we didn't want to follow up with them, there would be some sort of a follow-up letter with him several weeks after discharge to just say, thank you, I hope you got the care you wanted, and again, start to engage and develop that relationship. But it was really trying to figure out what we could share. And you know, as a piece of that and thinking about what we shared, our development team said we were routinely are not going to target patients under the age of 25. So when we looked at what data we were sharing, we eliminated anybody who was under the age of 25. It was just a decision our organization had made and their approach to, to evaluating fundraising. 
And so, you know, that was something, again, that by having that conversation and involving the information technology folks for how we could extract the data, involving the development team for what they wanted and needed, and involving me as the compliance and privacy officer, we were able to come to a solution that satisfied everyone and everyone was comfortable with. Marty, thank you for that example. It's really helpful to hear um, in a very practical, tangible way that uh, how you thought through this and how you collaborated with your team members to get to a mutually beneficial approach, right? And um, I think it's a great opportunity um, when we sort of think about and put on our development officer, right, and development team hats um, to emphasize just a couple of things here. The first of which is that development teams engage early and often right, with all of the personas that we've talked about today, compliance and privacy, IT and senior leadership, um, especially as you are setting up a grateful patient or a grateful family program or maturing that program or evolving that program. The information that you want and need to power your strategic fundraising approach, again, internal information and external information uh, might look different, right, at various stages um, in your Grateful Patient program. Um, I can appreciate a lot of the organizations um, that I've talked to sort of find this manageable starting place uh, for Grateful Patient fundraising and, again, sort of add these new programmatic elements over time as it becomes manageable to do that. So, again, making friends with your compliance team and your privacy team uh, is really, really important. So they're knowledgeable about where you've been, where you are, and where you're going uh, with your Grateful Patient program. And again, one other thing um, I'll just sort of underline here, I mentioned that kind of quickly just a couple of minutes ago, but to remember development teams, that minimum necessary standard um, that's part of HIPAA, back to that, we often like a lot of information to help us think about how we'll build and structure our programs and how we'll work with our, our patients and our prospects and our donors. But again, realistically, very often you don't need a ton of information to, to achieve really, you know, a solid program. And then, of course, to think for those of you that are in really big organizations and there are development teams and development offices engaging in this type of fundraising across states or different parts of the country to remember that there's federal regulation uh, that, you know, we talk about quite often, but there may also be a state regulation that you need to consider as well. So again, sort of full circle moment here, um, you should make very good friends with compliance and privacy and IT and senior leadership so you can all you know, make the type of progress that everybody wants. Again, back to Grateful Patient Fundraising is a really important revenue stream. And fundraising is certainly an important revenue stream uh, for organizations that have the benefit of fundraising. Marty, anything else you want to add to that before we move on? No, but I do think it's important to emphasize the minimum necessary and also it's not just HIPAA in all cases that you have to consider. So if you've made yourself aware of what the HIPAA regulations are, that may not be enough. And if you're a large organization, that, as you mentioned, that crosses state lines, you may be able to get access to certain data in state A, but not get access to that same data in state B. 
So again, for development teams, reach out to your compliance professional, your information security professional. They're the experts in your organization on this. Use that expertise and don't feel like you have to necessarily become an expert in what HIPAA says and what state laws say. You're the expert in actually going out and helping the organization raise those funds so you can continue to provide that quality patient care and that that groundbreaking research. So lean into the experts that are in your organization to help support you doing that. So Marty, it was so helpful to hear from you today. Thank you for giving us great perspective um, on this topic and some insight into how collaboration and inclusivity among teams is the best path to success. And thanks to you, our listeners. We hope you enjoyed this episode.